And if you would please turn in your copy of the Holy Scriptures to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3. Today we come to verses 13 through 17. And we will, we will have to circle back to these verses. We will not exhaust everything in them today. But today we focus our attention on 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Some have said that one of the major themes in Peter's letter, if not the major theme, is suffering. And it is evident when you read through 1 Peter that there's quite a bit that's said in this book about how Christians are to live in this world filled with suffering. But I don't believe that suffering is a theme of 1 Peter. I believe suffering is a fact of life under the sun. It's just something that we all experience. And the themes of 1 Peter come through in instructions and commands telling us how to live in these circumstances. So we see themes like perseverance, staying the course, obeying God even in difficulty, and keeping an, an eternal and heavenly outlook as we walk through this world. So today I've titled the sermon, Perseverance, and perspective in suffering. And I think we'll see this as we work through this text. Perseverance and perspective in suffering. Now let's read the text and then we'll ask God's blessing on us this morning. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account, asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Verse 16, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time in His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, great triune God of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you standing in need. God, if we come here today and you do not meet with us, then we gather in vain. If we come here today and open your word, but do not have your Holy Spirit as a guide, as the one who convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment, Lord, we waste our time. So we pray that you would be here, that you would be here in power. And we believe that we ask this in accordance to your will. So God, we thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. We pray this morning that you would hide the preacher behind the cross, that you would sanctify the saints and save sinners. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Verse 14 mentions times when you suffer. It speaks about intimidation and feeling troubled 
by these things. 16 brings up slander and being reviled. And then 17 again speaks of suffering. I think it's safe to say nobody likes suffering. Nobody likes to even talk about suffering. It is far from our favorite subject. But suffering is real and a regular part of the human experience as we live in this fallen world. Suffering is assumed in the scripture and even promised in the scripture. Jesus promised in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Often we think of the promises of scripture that we want to claim. I've never heard anyone say that's the one they want to claim, but it is a promise of scripture. It's a promise of our Lord. In this world, you will have trouble. My childhood pastor used to say, if trouble is not at your house, it's on the way. I think that's true. The point is that suffering is a recurring theme in the world. Every person who lives suffers. There are those certainly who suffer more than others. And we can all think about those who we have come into contact with who have suffered far more than we know. Perhaps there's someone here that has suffered more than many of us would know. There are also different kinds of suffering, not only uh, magnitude or depth of suffering, there are different kinds of suffering. There's emotional and mental and relational suffering. There's physical suffering, physical suffering that could be inflicted by another person, physical suffering that may be brought about due to illness of some sort, physical suffering just because we live in aging bodies. There's suffering in this world. The psalmist speaks of the suffering in the world in Psalm 56 when he says this, Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. Suffering is a fact under the sun. And while suffering is common to all men, for followers of Jesus Christ, suffering should take on a different look. We should see suffering differently. We are told in Scripture to count suffering, to count suffering as a blessing, to count it as a benefit and sometimes as a joy, especially when that suffering is for the sake of Jesus Christ. This may be difficult for us to think about, but Jesus said, as we just heard earlier in the, with the Beatitudes being read, Jesus said those who suffer are blessed. When he gave us the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted. Then he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely accuse you. Christians are to see suffering, and all of these things certainly are sufferings. We are to see suffering differently. We are to see suffering as something that is being used by God. Now there's an error that I think we have to avoid as we think about biblical suffering and as we think about suffering biblically. 
And that error is, I, I, we understand that suffering is called blessed by Christ. But some go out then and seek suffering. Some people believe that the way for them to be the most blessed and the most happy in Christ is to look for suffering and then plunge themselves headlong into it. Just to be miserable. I know y'all get tired of hearing about my childhood pastor. He said, some of you look like you were weaned on pickle juice. Just, just sour. And some, some of us think that that makes us more holy because we are sour, because we are suffering so. But Jesus did not come so that we would live in a constant state of suffering. He said that he came to give us abundant life. And yes, that includes eternal life, but that abundant life begins for the Christian now. We're, now we're going that, to, that's one side, we're going we're gonna to frame this with the other side. We, we do not, or we should not go looking for suffering. We should not go pursuing suffering. We should pursue peace. Seek peace and pursue it, Scripture tells us. But as we do unavoidably face suffering in this life, we must remember, Christians, that it is only temporary suffering. Contrary to what some popular beliefs are, for a Christian, this is not your best life. The best for a Christian is yet to come. When we are with Jesus in the eternal state, this is not the best. So, so we don't go looking for suffering, but we also must know that suffering is to be expected in this life and that it is temporary. I think it is safe to say that most of us, if not all of us, we seek to live a life free of suffering. And, and we can't be free of suffering, but we seek to suffer as little as possible, as little as we can manage. We consider, often, we consider suffering to be damaging or harmful to us. And that's, that's an error that I want to see us change in our thinking today. Often we consider suffering to be bringing harm to us. And we forget that the scripture reveals that suffering is a familiar tool in the hand of God as he accomplishes his purposes in our lives. Suffering is used by God to do his work, to accomplish his will. Suffering purifies us. Suffering strengthens us. Suffering builds in us godly character. As we suffer, we increase in patience and in endurance and in conviction. So as we come to the text today, having made the point that suffering is common, we don't go looking for it, but it is common and it is temporary, even for a Christian. We read verse 13 and we need to change our thinking. Who is there to harm you? Who is there to harm you? Here we have this distinction drawn between that which can harm and suffering. It's not the same. In our thinking, sometimes it's the same. Suffering harms. No, there's a distinction here about 
what can harm a man and suffer. If we equate in our minds harm and suffering, then we need to rethink it according to the scripture. Suffering is not bringing you harm. Suffering is not bringing harm to God's people. Now we also see in this a limit to man's power and strength. He asks this rhetorical question, who is there to harm you? But in asking this, we understand there are things to harm us. There are things that harm a man. We are weak and we are feeble. There are harmful things, but suffering is not one of those harmful things in our life. Also, as we, as we consider this statement, let us note that it is an if-then statement. This is a conditional statement, even though it's turned around so that the if is in the middle. This is an if-then statement. And it's, it's a truth with a condition. Man is vulnerable. Man is able to be harmed. There are things that can harm us, but God has given us here a way of escaping harm. And that's where the condition comes, comes in. If you are zealous for what is good, if you are zealous for righteousness. If you're zealous for righteousness, who is there to harm you? Now, this is not a new line of thinking in the scripture, and it's certainly not a new line of thinking even for Peter. If we look back up to verse 10, we read this. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here we have a, a lot of Hebrew parallelisms and we see Peter taking this song with all these parallelisms and applying it to God's people who desire life and love and good days. If you desire life and love and good days, keep your tongue from evil. If you want to avoid harm, our text says today, be zealous for good works. See, it's really, it's saying the same thing. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking guile. Be zealous for good works. It's saying the same thing in a different way. Living in obedience to God's word is the only way for a Christian to be happy, to find good days, to avoid harm. So in the first place, as we understand that we are to be zealous for good works, we need to know what a good work is. We need to know what good works are. We need something to measure actions, to measure our works, to see if, a, if an act is a righteous act or an unrighteous act. Listen to what our confession says in chapter 16 about good works. Good works are only such as God hath commanded in his word. Now we can put a period right there. Good works are only such as God hath commanded in his word. It continues, not such 
as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. So good works are not whatever we make up in our mind to be good works. You can't just say, I'm going to do this thing as a good work toward God. I'm going to stand on my hand for 30 minutes as a good work toward God. No, it needs to be what God has commanded to be a good and righteous work, not the things that we devise out of our own hearts and minds, even if we are very sincere and even if we are very zealous, that doesn't make zeal and sincerity doesn't make a work a righteous work. Good works are the commands of the Holy Scripture. Think about the moral law that we have summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. This is a good way, if you're thinking, what are good works? This is a good way for us to remember what are good works. No other gods, no images of God, honor God's name, honor God's day, honor father and mother, honor the sanctity of life, Honor the sanctity of marriage. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. That's a good summary of what are good works. And the scripture tells us here in our text, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good works, if you are zealous for righteousness? And now we have an understanding of what God commands. That is righteousness. Those are good works. The steps which God has commanded that we should walk in them. Many people will say, I have no problem with righteousness. I have no problem with good works. I'm fine with your morality, but that's for you. Don't get it near me. Many will tolerate righteousness. But that's not what our text tells us. That who is there to harm you if you tolerate righteousness? That's not what the text says. Others of us, and, and maybe more folks that are here, others would say, well, we are positively in favor of good works. When we think about it, we choose right over wrong. We choose good over evil. And sometimes we do righteous works. Sometimes we are cooperating with and participating in righteousness. But is that what our text says? Who is there to harm you if you participate in righteousness? If you occasionally do good works? The verse says that we are protected when we are zealous for righteousness. When we are zealous for good works. And this is no passive, disengaged attitude about righteousness. It is an intense passion, an obsession, if you will. We need to be passionate Christians, zealous for righteousness. Christian man or woman, what are you zealous about? You may think, well, I don't know what I'm zealous about. Well, I would say your family knows. Your husband, your wife, your children, they know what you're zealous about. 
Your bank account will reveal what you're zealous about. How do you spend your money? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Your schedule will say much about your zeal and what you are zealous for. Where do you dedicate large portions of time? What do you commit your time to? Some of us are zealous for silly, trivial, eternally worthless things. The text here says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, if you are zealous for righteousness? Shamefully and sinfully, many of us have to admit that we are not zealous for the things of God, that we are not zealous as we should be for righteousness. Let us pray that God would give us a zeal, an ever-growing zeal for righteousness. God, help us to shun the love of money, the lust of the eye, and the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Help us to pursue righteousness as we're instructed in 1 Timothy 6. And as Paul wrote to the Hebrews in chapter 12, where he says, pursue holiness without which no man will see God. We are to pursue it. We are to be zealous for it. May God help us to be zealous for righteousness. If you are zealous for righteousness, our text says, who can harm you? Who can harm you? This is a rhetorical question and we know the answer as the question is asked. If you're walking with God, who can harm you? And the answer is no one. Walking with God, no one can harm you. This is reminiscent of Romans 8 verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And, and, and maybe you think, well, there are a lot of people against us. And yes, they are. But what are they? What do they amount to? How do they stack up? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're zealous for righteousness, who, who can harm you? Now, earlier I read from Psalm 56, but listen to this fuller reading of Psalm 56. And the psalmist says, be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled on me, fighting all day long. He oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long. For many are those who fight proudly against me. Then it continues, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Let me just give you a little instruction when you read Psalms. Sometimes we, sometimes we get into that state and we're feeling a thing like man has trampled on me, fighting all day long, he oppresses me. Sometimes we get into feeling that. And you know why we say it's a good thing to go to the Psalms? Because there we find where we are, but we're not left there. We're quickly brought out of that. And that's exactly what we have here. The psalmist says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, I put my trust in God. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? You see, it's the same question. 
Who can harm you? If God is for you, who can be against you? What can mere man do for me? Now, there are two things that we're seeing here in this text. The first is perseverance. Stay the course. Be zealous for righteousness. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Enduring obedience. Being zealous for righteousness. But then we see in this text a different perspective. That's what we find here when we read, who can harm you? Who is there to harm you? It's a different perspective. It's looking beyond the here and now. It's looking beyond uh, right in front of our face. We know that suffering will come, but suffering will not stay. Verse 14 says, if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are blessed. And the Psalm 56 verse 3 says, what can mere man do to me? God is instructing us here on how we should see opposition. And he's really instructing us on fear. Did you see in the Psalms there in Psalm 56? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in God and I'm not afraid. He's instructing us on fear and, and what we are to fear and what we are not to fear. Don't fear if you are zealous for righteousness, anyone, because no one can harm you. When you're afraid, trust in God. What can mere man do to you? If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, we get this crazy notion that we should fear men, that we should fear governments, that we should fear Satan. If you've never heard it, listen today, the preacher is telling you, don't fear man, don't fear governments, don't fear Satan. For the one who walks with God, there is no cause for fear in these things. But friend, you who are here today without Jesus, you who are walking not with God, but as enemies of God, friend, don't you don't even waste your time fearing evil in this world. You don't need to fear bad men. You don't need to fear demons. You don't need to fear even Satan himself. You need to fear God. Fear God. He is the only perfect and holy one. He is the one who will judge our actions as well as our attitudes. This text points us to God. Fear him and to obey him. This is marking a perspective that is beyond earthly. Suffering is temporary, but Jesus will. Let me back up and, and I want to correct that. Suffering is temporary for a Christian. For the Christian, the best is yet to come. For the one who will die without Jesus Christ, you don't even know suffering yet. And suffering will be eternal. And you are, you are living. If you will die and go to hell, you are living your best life now. What a fearful thing. We should fear God. Temporary suffering for a Christian. Suffering is temporary for a Christian. 
But Jesus will finally have all his and our enemies placed under his feet. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Our perspective as Christians in suffering needs to be a heavenly perspective. We have a heavenly perspective in, I've marked three ways, in time, in location, and in company. In time, suffering is real and it must be endured for now, but after the last days, no more suffering. Our outlook, our heavenly perspective has us look to a different time. We have a heavenly perspective in location. Suffering is the experience in this place. Since the fall of man in the garden, this temporal world is a place of pain and sin and death. But the new heavens and the new earth will not know suffering. So our heavenly perspective has us look to a different place, a different time and a different place, a different company. Now we live in a, in a fallen world surrounded by fallen sinners. Think about it. We don't even know what it is to behold the beauty of a world without sin. We are surrounded by sin and sinners, but in heaven we will be with God. We will worship Jesus, our dear Savior. We will be surrounded by other redeemed men and women who will be worshiping God there. We will be in the presence of ministering angels who worship God. We will be at that place in better company. So Christians, in our suffering, we should have a heavenly perspective for another time, another place, in better company. A Christian's perspective while enduring suffering is to be a heavenly one. We are not fearless because our enemies have no power. Don't hear me say when you say when you hear me say don't fear evil men in the world. Don't fear demons and don't fear Satan. When you hear me say that don't think it's because I, I'm not saying it because they have no power. We're not fearless because we are stronger or more courageous than our enemies. That's not the reason that we stand fearless, saying, who can harm me? We stand fearless because we stand with our champion. We stand fearless because we stand with the overcomer. We stand with Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned earlier, Jesus promised trouble in this world. You will have trouble. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How encouraging is that? You see, you hear that promise. In this world, you will have trouble. That's depressing. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. In the Beatitudes, Jesus points us to the great reward that we will have in heaven through him. Christian, you know your suffering. And there may be another person who knows your suffering somewhat, the pain that you bear, but there may not be another person on the planet that knows what you are going through in your suffering. But God knows. And God has promised that he will not put on us more than we are able to bear. 
There's no option. I would like to stand here today and tell you, here's how Christians can clock out of suffering. Here's how Christians can, can get out of it. Suffering does not harm us, but it's unavoidable for the Christian. There's no place for us to quit. There's no easy button for the Christian life. Christians, we must persevere. We must endure. Knowing that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We must persevere. And in persevering, we must keep a heavenly perspective. If God is for us, if we're zealous for righteousness, if we keep our tongue from evil, then who can be against us? No one. Who can harm us? No one. And we will find life and love and good days walking with our Lord. Lost friend, don't waste your time fearing the things of this world. The scripture says, don't fear the one who can destroy the body only. Rather, fear the one who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear God. Come to him by faith, repenting of your sin, and find in him forgiveness and peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the true grace of God. Stand firmly. Holy Father, we pray that you would apply these things to our hearts. God, we pray for relief of suffering. We know that you will not put on us more than we can bear. And Lord, we now lift those that we know in this room, some of our family and friends and our sister churches who are suffering what seems to us to be just unbearable. Lord, we, we bring them to you and pray that you would relieve them of their suffering through Jesus Christ. God, as you have ordained that we would walk in this world and endure suffering, we pray that you would give us the perseverance, that you would give us the strength. And God, we pray that you would protect our outlook, protect our perspective, that it would be a heavenly one. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.